Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by the National Pork Board, Intervention, Crystal Spring, Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Roder, your host for today's episode. Today, we're joined by Jessica Campbell and Bill Lucky to talk about international market development. How are you guys doing today? I'm fine. Doing well. Well, I see you guys around from time to time, and it sounds like you guys had some exciting things happen here recently. So really excited to jump into that. But before we do, for our guests, I'd love for uh, all of us just to thank National Pork Board for putting this on. Uh, This is going to be a really great topic where we can learn something new. Uh, Jessica, if you wouldn't mind starting but just by introducing yourself and your background and how you got involved with pig production and also uh, international market development. Sure. I'm Jess Campbell. I'm from Waynesville, Ohio, which is kind of between Cincinnati and Dayton. And I raise niche pigs, uh, niche pork, to sell direct to consumer. I run a farm called Carroll Creek Farms. And we market about 150 head of beef off the farm a year, about 300 hogs, a bunch of chickens, eggs, lambs, you name it. Um, we're kind of a one-stop protein shop, let people come to our farm and then also um, sell at farmer's markets. So that's kind of my side hustle, I guess. I started the farm in about 2015 because I was getting a lot of questions from people who knew I had a meat science degree about if meat was safe to eat and changing their diets more towards local foods and understanding that transparency. So was born out of that. And then um, my day job is I lend to some of the largest swine producers at Farm Credit Mid-America as a swine lender. So I'm kind of uh, oscillating on both sides of the industry at any given time from very small niche to very large (laughs) Um, and see the value in all of those. So I got into pig farming by my aunt and uncle who had a 300 sow fair to finish operation in Indiana. And I started working there and just fell in love with the industry and never left. And how did you get involved with international market development and the pork board? Um, I was lucky enough to be elected to the pork board and appointed sometime this past summer. And um, really from my standpoint, as a lender during the day, I look at profitability and I understand how key driving domestic is, but more importantly so, how elastic that export uh, market is. And it really allows us to add value to the carcass and keep my producers in a profitable position. So it's a passion of mine because it's important from an economic standpoint for all of us to continue to raise pigs. So what's something unique about you that you'd say most people in this industry don't know? One weird fact is my mom is actually the keyboard player in Cincinnati's premier Neil Diamond band, Forever Diamond. (laughs) So it's kind of a bizarre fact, yes. That is awesome. Last year, that was their big claim to fame. 
So Bill, excited to have you with us. Can you talk about your background involvement in ag and how you got into pork production and the pork board and international market development? Yeah. Um, I started uh, sort of in the traditional way of being on a family farm here in Nebraska, raising hogs, cattle, uh, row crop, uh, sort of the whole gamut. Um, when I was in high school, my dad said, uh, you're taking better care of these pigs than what I am. So why don't you just sort of take over the hog operation? And that's when I, it really sparked a lot of interest in uh, what I was doing and things like that. So I got a degree in animal science at the University of Nebraska came back to the farm and uh, worked with my dad for several years. And then my dad retired and I took over the operation. Uh, right now we have a custom finishing operation. We have uh, spaces for about 4,000 head of hogs. Uh, we used to own a sow unit, a part owner in that, uh, recently sold that and went strictly to uh, custom finishing. Um, that's been working out real well. Uh, my wife and I, we have four sons. So uh, I do have a little bit of help once in a while, but they all have their other jobs too. So this afternoon we are going to sort a bunch of hogs and things like that. So I hope somebody shows up to uh, <laughs> help me on, on that one. So uh, if you weren't so far away, I'd have you come and help me. But uh, anyway, as far as getting involved in the pork industry, I was fortunate enough to be in a called uh, in a program called Nebraska Lead Program, and that. It's to motivate people to be more active in agriculture and being spokesmen for agriculture. And that really sparked a lot of my interest. Uh, I was always in the local pork producer association on the local level, but uh, this organization sort of sparked saying, hey, you have to get active in, in doing some other things. So I, I joined the state uh, pork organization, uh, went through the officer rotation there, and then uh, also got on the border after that was over. I got involved in National Pork Producers Council. I uh, was a board of directors there for six years, uh, took a few years off, and then uh, ran for the pork board position and got on as a director there. So I've served on a lot of different committees, domestic marketing, the pork board, uh, some international thing. I've done some international travel with NPPC, but also with pork board and I've uh, gone to a lot of USMEF meetings, and that's really sparked my interest in the international marketing was to go to these meetings and see once how we're uh, getting access to these markets, but also how we're doing promoting product and getting product into those uh, countries and some of the challenges that we have over there. So it's just been a real interesting uh, time for me. I really enjoy uh, the international marketing, was, along with a lot of the other programs that uh, Pork Board has to offer. So what's something unique about you, Bill, that most people don't know? Well, um, my son, uh, this isn't about me, but my son uh, builds pipe organs uh, and repairs them in Lincoln. So that's sort of unique about him. Uh, oh, we have four boys in our family, so that's sort of unique. But uh, I guess the, the one thing is I've done some work over in Africa uh, at an orphanage helping them plant corn. And last March went over there to do some brainstorming soda. How can we help this orphanage be more profitable on their farming operation that they have some acres that they uh, produce crops on and stuff? And we actually looked at pork production, went to a hog operation in uh, Tanzania and uh, looked at opportunities uh, 
what might be over there for those people. So that was real interesting uh, and a real enjoyable time just to uh, see that part of the, of the world. That would be pretty cool. So when we talk about being advocates for pork in general, it's difficult to think about how we can be advocates in our local community, let alone international countries. So could you guys talk about and give an overview of the U.S. pork international market development strategy? Yeah, I can I can take that one uh, off the bat here. Uh, it, it's very important that we have a strategy going forward in our international marketing. You know, if you don't have a goal, uh, you don't even know if you get there. And we've had a, a strategy for, for quite a while where we get together with USMEF. We have the unified uh, the UES meeting, which is Unified Export Strategy. And it's looking at opportunities around the world where we may be more effective, uh, whether it be with uh, differentiating our product, the diversification of our product, but making sure that, uh, you know, we don't have all of our eggs in one basket, so to speak, that we want to make sure that if one market falls off, we're able to find other markets or have other access to other markets so that we can keep moving product uh, overseas because that's a very important part of our um, whole industry is the export market. And we want to make sure that we're able to uh, fulfill the needs of our uh, customers um, and, and make sure that uh, we can inform them and help them uh, you know, move our product in, in those foreign countries. So if we don't have a plan, it's sort of hard to have a goal and, and things like that out in the future. So uh, we've been working on these plans for years, and it, it's really important to, to have those and to have relationships with the corn and soybean people, um, the USF, U.S. Meat Export Federation. Uh, we're going to have that meeting coming up because we work with a lot of our different partners uh, to promote our product, and it, it's just a really fascinating way to have goals and set objectives you know, for the international market. Jess, could you talk about why it's important and how it's been impactful to have producers or board members as a collaborative part of this international strategy? Sure. Um, I think when you're telling a story, be it in your local communities or on a bigger platform, like in another country, people really resonate with the stories that are from the heart or for the, from the barnyard or are more personalized. And then that allows them to connect with the bigger message of our industry as a fabric. So no one can digest the stories of all the farms that are across the U S at once, but what they can understand is if we have meaningful communication with them one-on-one -on -one about our experiences on our farm and try to find synergies with them as an exporter or importer, them as a producer in Colombia and Panama, and try to continue to knit that trust and relationship through our commonalities. Um, I think it's also important, you know, that we understand their markets more intimately and tell that story back to our fellow producers. So for example, in Panama, we were walking around at one of their more wet market types and their most popular variety meat that I had no idea about is tails. Well, I have never once huh. scarfed down a pigtail at my dinner table, <laughs> and I don't see that changing for the most of the domestic population. 
However, that's culturally a very important dish that the housewives will come out that morning, get it, mix it with rice and beans. And it's a very, it's like number one dish for those guys is things like pork belly and pork tails and things that you don't really understand if you haven't been in market and, you know, seen and not smelled the wet market, the whole nine yards and really experienced that and empathize more with how they buy because it's an extremely different experience from the American consumer. So I think it's important to immerse yourself in that to understand. How do they eat pigtail? So you said that mix it with rice and beans or something. Do they strip that off then? Or is that like corn Um, on the cob? Like how do they eat that? (laughs) I think they like boil it down all day, but there was a lot of interesting diets and dietary um, staples there. Like they had stewing hens that were cracked open uh, in the wet markets with like the eggs still forming. And that was important that you could still see the eggs forming. So wow. having the cultural appreciation, they really liked pig masks. So faces basically of the pig, things that we're probably never going to eat, but those things do drive value and understanding, you know, oh, this is culturally important to them. How can we get the right product to the right place, adding the most value to the carcass? So until you see a man, I have a picture on my phone of a guy like holding up the pigtail and like telling us how important it is. I think it was smoked maybe. And uh, you just can't really have an appreciation for the differences in the cultures until you've fully experienced that in person. So So you, you talked about the importance of really connecting at their level and at a level where you both share commonalities. What were some of the commonalities that you felt as though you connected on the most? Was it around the table when you guys were sharing meals or was it around production type practices? I think the struggles that us as farmers and meat retailers share is fairly universal. So when we were meeting the Colombian pork producers, again, barring the language barrier that we had. So going back and forth through an interpreter, they were talking about health challenges. They were talking about vertical integration They're talking about sustainability progress. Um, The retailers were talking about having access to a consistent product that was high quality. And we were trying to push the narrative of the U.S. pork brand at those places and basically how they can leverage our our brand as safe and nutritious, as well as one of the premier producers of pork to help grow their businesses. And we did go to some higher end retailers as well that we're, we're taking our product and then making it um, closer to ready to eat and more experience-based, which is something that we've seen as a trend here. So as you see Colombia's GDP rising and their um, average consumer becoming a little more affluent, hopping on some of those bandwagons that have already happened here at the U S but ultimately that you'll find, and I'm sure Bill would agree with me, we were far more similar than different. In fact, probably had more common with a Colombian pork producer than like a Kardashian in LA. <laughs> you know, so we we really did have a lot in common at the end of the day. So, Bill, what were some of the takeaways that you you had from this and the group had from this? Well, one of the main things too, back to the uh, Colombian pork producer they don't have the access to grain that we do. So they have to Mm -hmm. import a lot of their product. So um, if we think we have some high feed costs, uh, look at the the price of getting that uh, corn and soybeans down there because they import 
uh, a lot of their grain and especially the soybean meal from the United States. Uh, Colombia is the second largest export market for soybean meal from the United States. So um, they have some, some of the same challenges we have. Some of their building construction would be considerably different than ours. Their labor uh, situation, I think they have a lot, a large labor force um, and their price structure or payment might be a little bit different, but we all have challenges. They may be a little bit different, but yet uh, there's challenges in, in producing the product. And uh, it, it's just great to see that we aren't the only ones struggling out there or taking advantage of, of uh, certain things. So that that was really important. And also the sustainability part of it. We had a special session just with the Columbia pork producers on sustainability. Years ago, I, I know in some uh, other trips, sustainability wasn't even mentioned. And now that seems to be one of the forefront uh, topics that we have. Uh, we were able to listen to see what's what they were doing. And then we also had a presentation from Port Board on, on what we're doing uh, as an industry here in the <clears throat> state. So that was really uh, unique in the fact that Years ago, we didn't think about sustainability, and and now that's one of the main topics that uh, we have in our discussions is how we can uh, be more sustainable and how we can sort of differentiate ourselves uh, on a national level uh, and worldwide. So those are all things. Everything's changing a little bit. Uh, there's new things coming up all the time, and we have to be prepared uh, to answer those tough questions. It's, it is really neat to see how sustainability as a conversation has changed. Uh, every now and then I'll have a couple of producers and they'll be like, oh, I really hate how we're talking about it this way now. And the thing to like hit on there for me was when they say this way now, because the things that we're talking around about sustainability, we've really been doing for decades and they've just been talked about in such, we'll call it farmer vocabulary that it never really hit mainstream vocabulary. But now that we're starting to figure out how to connect the dots and really convey what we've always been focusing on to the same things that people are, are, are really making buying decisions from, it's neat to see the two come together. And it's a learning curve because it's a whole new language, but it's in a lot of ways, the same reality that we we've always been in. And I think that's a huge opportunity for, for pork producers as we focus on sustainability and agriculture as a whole. And um, I guess to, to shift from there, I'd love to have you guys maybe add any last thoughts that you had from the trip. Uh, anything outside of ag that really surprised you when you went to Panama, Colombia? Uh, what, what was that like? Go ahead, Jess. Okay. Um, well, outside of the barn lot, one of the things that really surprised me was the presence of the U.S. pork brand. Um, we were in various grocery stores, restaurants, and the USMEF has really been doing their job and getting our brand out there. I felt like everywhere I went, I saw the U.S. pork logo, and I've never really seen it before in my life, <laughs> having never traveled abroad. So I was really impressed on how well they immerse that as part of the meat counterculture in both Colombia and Panama. Um, 
outside of our bombing of grocery stores in Cartagena and uh, scaring the locals with a big mass of Americans, um, some of the more exciting parts was we took a bus trip in Cartagena and we, we thought this was going to be just your average tour and we piled on this bus and then next thing you know, it's like uh, pit bull music and beers being passed around and getting the uh, awesome. more local flavor of the of the uh the whole tour in fact we had a couple that will name remain nameless that we now know on our trip have some really killer dance moves from this bus so i think that's indicative of the whole culture there that the people are just very lighthearted and um free and just kind of anybody you would encounter on the streets very open and warm and having a conversation so we got to immerse ourselves in that and some uh, cultural music like Shakira from Colombia <laughs> on our bus. So um, that was great. And then I think we ate probably um, the 50 pounds of meat we were supposed to meet all year in the U.S. while we were down there in Colombia <laughs> uh, through their culture. So um, we definitely had a lot of feasting and we we ate in their style, which for some of the meals it was like, almost like a Brazilian steakhouse meets what situation, but there was course after course and that dialogue back and forth with the Colombian culture, uh, cultural uh, chefs and talking about the food, experiencing the food, having a long, slow dinner, which is a little countercultural to us, but it was, um, it wasn't about eating and going or any kind of efficiency. It was about the experience, which I think is awesome. As you think about pork, like making us part of the culture. Was that something that you were really proud of when you saw the U.S. pork meat brand everywhere? Was that kind of a proud moment? Yes, they had the little flags in a lot of the um, pork chops and things like that. And I was I kept them. I put one in my I got one of those Panama Jack hats because I was definitely a tourist. I put it in there. I mean, for me, it was it was showing the value of what we do at the checkoff in real time. Like we are creating a brand and market that ties in with our product and shows that it's premium. So for me, it was very important to see that. And I was excited that it was almost everywhere. What about you, Bill? What was something that uh, really stood out from you from the trip? Was uh, there a good amount of team building too involved with, with all of you on like basically spending an entire week or two together? Yeah, that that's true. Um, we definitely got to know each other. I, I think I talked to Jess, um, more on this trip than I had ever before. So I got to know a little bit more about her operation and, uh, you know, just what she does and everything. So it was a great opportunity to get to know uh, a lot of these uh, other directors. And especially for the new ones, um, I've been on several international trips. So I've seen a lot of different uh, ways of marketing product and things like that. And one of the interesting things about marketing product, I was there in Columbia five years ago. And we were in some grocery stores that marketed our product completely different than what it is today. And we're doing a lot better job of marketing our product over there, just in the display case, uh, things like that. So uh, it was great to see how it was done before and then how we've made improvements by helping them in their grocery stores just dis display the product. And I, I think it just presented itself really well. And I guess the other thing that... Uh, as far as being in the culture of Columbia, there were uh, several, one time in particular, it was such a long traffic jam, we just got off the bus and walked to the hotel. It was a lot quicker to uh, get around walking almost because of the traffic was uh, extremely heavy, especially in the afternoons. 
And as far as this, uh, the bus that we were on, there were several times we had people wanting to join us, I think, and other times people were looking at us like, man, these crazy Americans, you know. But uh, it was just a lot of fun and a lot of, uh, like, team bonding or building. Uh, that, that was very important to be able to get to know one another and to experience the foreign country. So very important for the port uh, board to do these kind of things, to get immersed in a market. So did, did you learn any new dance moves? I didn't, but there were a few that uh, I should take maybe lessons from. Yeah, that, that's for sure. Awesome. Well, Jess, with kind of wrapping some of this up, would you mind touching on some of the markets, um, just like overview of the markets themselves? Sure. Um, both Colombia and Panama were pretty strategic on why we visited there. Um, Colombia has been a very, very hot market for U.S. pork, especially in recent years. So really um, starting in 2020, we started shipping a lot more down there. And today, I, I think we it's our number um, six market. Does that sound right? So it's in the top 10. I know that. And we are moving a lot of pork down there. And they're eating about 20 pounds of pork a year. So per individual so we're we're really hoping to continue to gobble up that market because a lot of their domestic product is backyard and um, not as consistent as what we have so while there's always going to be choice in the marketplace we definitely present a different product there as well as some of the offfalls and the importance of moving those same with panama because we are moving towards a zero duty entry there it's going to continue to be a, a hot um Central American market, and we're very excited to be a part of that. Um, there's a lot of expats down there looking for our product. There's the domestic people who are used to the wet markets, but um, they there is not a ton of domestic production, so they do need us or other importers to be able to fuel the demand. So, and again, there's different kinds of variety meats that can be shipped down there, and all those things just help to add value to the carcass. Bill, do you have any thoughts? Well, I might add a little bit uh, on top of that is the fact that Central America is so close to us that we have, we're the closest uh, market or exporting country to to Central America. So we definitely have an advantage over some of these other countries. And this, that's why we want to maintain this great relationship with these. And when other countries see how we're working uh, in a neighboring country, then they realize, hey, this might be an opportunity for us to uh, get product in. And like with Colombia, since 2012, when the trade agreement was first signed, we've more than doubled the uh, per capita consumption of pork. And we've been able to fill that, uh, you know, that supply need. And the producers in uh, Colombia, they were a little uh, leery of us coming in at first, but I think we've been able to work with them and try to maintain relationship and communication with them that uh, they realize that we have helped them and by improving the consumption of pork. So it, it's been a good relationship and we just have to uh, make sure that we're available to all these markets because, you know, we, we have a lot of product available and we're going to be con continue to be a good uh, provider for, for their product. So after going on this trip, and mingling with all of your fellow board members, what are some of the takeaways or things that you're going to be um, 
going forward with from this point, some information, um, like how are you moving forward now as individuals? Start with Jess. Uh, definitely more respect for the USMEF. I always knew of them, but I didn't understand how critical they were to promoting um, our products abroad. So being able to communicate that story more um, robustly. And then also for me, it's more just understanding a little bit more, a surface level more about Latin America and understanding that we have a lot of value there in being able to bring this product in, um, get it in their meat cases, and really gobble up a lot of that market share for U.S. pork specifically if we position and brand it right. And as a person who does branded meats on a daily basis, I really respect that we're taking that commodity and adding some value to it because um, I know ultimately it helps rise the tide of all producers. Well, you, Bill. I think the one thing that uh, we're all going to have to realize that we have to be very flexible in our marketing. We may have a, a market that has been very good for us, but some things can change. And all of a sudden, we have to be able to change on a dime and move product someplace else. So that's one thing about USMEF. They're a, they have uh, offices, I believe, in 19 countries. So that's gonna, that helps us to be able to move product around and because we, we cannot rely on one market all the time. Uh, we have to be able to be flexible because with the, the EU, the situation there in China, there's just a lot of things moving all the time. And it's, it's very hard to uh, hit those moving targets. So we're, we just have to be prepared. And that's going to be the one thing that I'm going to be able to tell uh, fellow producers about is the fact that we have to be prepared and we have to be very flexible in our decision making. I would well, we echo Oh, I would echo yep. that. Go ahead. Being a banker, I mean, we talk about things like counterparty risk, et cetera. And as tense as global geopolitics are right now, I like that we're just, we as an industry are diversifying our markets so heavily, exporting to over 100 countries right now, and really spreading that concentration risk, which is probably another bank term, but into various countries. It just makes me um, sleep better at night knowing that we don't have all of our eggs and maybe like a Chinese basket, let's just say, you know, and that we have diversified appropriately and we're trying to make inroads other places as well. So as these climate storms may come and we have different relationships with different countries, we're self-hedged on options to market our product. Absolutely. Yeah. In reality, it's not all of our eggs in one basket. It's more all of our bacon in one sack. There you go. <laughs> or all falls in one China, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so to wrap things up, we always ask that guests share a bit of life wisdom. And I'm going to go a step further in this one and ask that you share a bit of life wisdom, a golden nugget, but also a bit of advice for any individual who might be traveling to Panama or Colombia. Go ahead, Bill. Okay. Um, as far as uh, advice, I, I think it's to do what you really love doing. I, uh, I've always loved, 
when, when I was in high school, I sort of had three different areas that I was looking at, and they were all pretty different. Uh, but I chose the one that I definitely had a passion for. Uh, when I go to work right now, I don't consider it work. I just figured this is my life. You know, this is a lifestyle. And I, I guess I would encourage people to all that have that sort of feeling that they're not going to work. They're, they're going to do what they've been called to do. And it doesn't matter if it's being, you know, a doctor, uh, a retail owner, a uh, farmer, you know, whatever it is, we're all working together because we can't get along without each other. I'm not going to be a plumber every day or an electrician every day. Uh, I have to rely on other people. And I think that's what we all have to realize is that we have to rely on other people. Uh, but really enjoy or love what you're doing and be passionate about it and be proud of what you do. I think that's that's one of the main things is to be proud of what you do. As far as going down to Panama, um, bring cool clothing because it was really warm down there when we were down there. Uh, <laughs> enjoy the people. Uh, smile. I mean, the and talk to people. Uh, I, I can I can really uh, I've been known to make new friends every day when I'm someplace. And it's just because you just start talking to someone and it's really great to hear their story and you tell them and they'll tell you different things. It's just a lot of fun to uh, communicate with people on a local base. How about you, Jess? Um, as far as life advice, I guess my general one is don't be afraid to be your authentic self and be different. I mean, I'm a little odd in that I grew up in a subdivision and then dreamed of moving to a pig farm. And I'm a first generation farmer now with the, you know, basically hippie farm and then also living the other side of it with commercial agriculture. And there I'm usually in the banker crowd about the only female in the room. So don't be afraid to be different and don't be afraid to challenge the status quo. You don't have to do it everything the same way everyone else did to be successful. So that's for sure mine. Um, as far as traveling to Panama, learned in Colombia, learned to haggle. Uh, us women on the trip were able to get a deal on Panama jack hats. Rich Deaton from the board paid $50 for one, I think, in Panama <laughs> with no haggling. And then we got four for 50 <laughs> for all the girls who took a picture by haggling on the streets. So I guess... Uh, don't be afraid to do price negotiation while, while enjoying Panama and Colombia and the culture and make sure you get a Panama Jack hat for the photo ops. So I'm going to go with you next time and I'm going to have you do my haggling. Yeah. Yeah. We're used to getting it at us as blenders. So I think we're armed and ready to go the other way with the opportunity. presents. <laughs> so. Well, thank you guys for both joining us on the Popular Pig Podcast to talk about your experiences. And we really uh, wish you the very best through the rest of this year. And thank you for everything you do for U.S. pork. Well, thank Thanks you for having us on. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available.
Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.